in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We rejoice in the portrait of the Christian life the Apostle Paul paints for us, which takes into account everything that I could boast about, everything that makes me feel like I have an edge, everything that people might be impressed about me for, and it puts it in a dump, a dump, it puts it in a waste can and dumps it because we have Christ. And in our hearts at times, uh, this challenge from the Apostle Paul where he models the Christian life. In Philippians 3, sometimes it makes us need to repent on a daily basis. Repent being an English translation of a Latin word that's trying to account for a Greek word that means change of mind. Repent doesn't mean feel sorry. I have theologian friends or acquaintances that I love that would say it does, but I think I disagree and I love them, but I disagree. Repent means to change your thinking. And the change of mind that Paul proposes in Philippians 3 is not for unbelievers. It's for believers. He commands rejoicing in chapter 3, verse 1, and then he says, look out for this hazard, the false circumcision, these Judaizers who are going to ask you for a legalistic version of Christianity, which isn't really Christianity. And he says, you know, they have their argument, but they don't have anything on me as the apostle that was once Saul of Tarsus, that, that was the great rabbi. As I said last time, these guys are pikers. The dogs, the evil workers, the false circumcision in verse 2. And he says, well, let's go there. Let's talk about what I bring in comparison to who they are. And he gives you his resume. I hate uh, the idea of a resume. Because you're supposed to be telling a story that brags. But we don't, as Christians, we don't want to boast except in the Lord. So you don't want to brag. The first time I applied to, to, to enter Dallas Seminary, I was rejected for a lack of spiritual growth and uh, spiritual attainment. I, was, I marveled at how spiritual it must be over at Dallas Seminary. I found out later it was really more of a political thing about who had signed my paper at my my application as as my pastor it was probably the reason but um having tried again with a pentecostal chaplain got in no problem but uh real spiritual over there anyway um but it occurred to me in my first shot i didn't really spend a lot of time trying to tell about all the things I'd done for Jesus. I didn't spend a lot of time saying those things because it was so counterintuitive to my nature. We're talking about Christian service. I'm not going to brag about being the Boy Scout chaplain. 
the chaplain's assistant. We didn't have a chaplain, so uh, I'll, I'll do it till the chaplain shows up and, and that kind of thing. I did that kind of stuff as a kid, but I didn't think to say it on my brag sheet. Paul gives you his brag sheet and then he throws it, well, he flushes it down the toilet, really, in chapter three and says, if you think you have something to boast in and you compare that to having Christ, then you find out you, you just let it go. There's nothing to boast in but the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you have to be willing to count it all for loss. Verse seven, whatever things were gained to me, these things, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now understand, he's going to have to say, I had to give up everything to follow Christ because the, my life pursuit before was in a different direction. So I had to change courses and following Jesus meant stopping the Pharisaic pursuit and destruction of the church. But before he says that, he says, I added up everything and I count it all to be loss for the sake of Christ. So it's not just, I'm trying to say it's not just utility. It's not just that, well, I had to get this thing out of my life because it was a distraction. He was saying everything's a distraction if you're not properly considering who and what Jesus is and that you have him and more importantly, he has you. I count all things to be lost, verse eight, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but scubula so that I may gain Christ. So I, for Jesus sake, have had to lose everything and I count everything to be loss and I actually regard it all as refuse to be flushed and removed far from us. That's how I think of whatever I had that could be <clears throat> a gain. You are not a billionaire in 50 cents, you're a billionaire. Remember? That's the way to think about it. And so this is a daily repentance for us. It's a scale of values adjustment. We are talking about something we can't see and touch, but someone for, for us who is everything. This is the Christian life of Paul. The idea of a Pauline Christianity as opposed to Christianity is absurd. Paul's point, it's all about him. Not my special take on him. I'm just an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're studying the Christian life of Paul. So then... I may gain Christ and then the things that he wants that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which comes from God on the basis of faith. So the reason, the thing that Paul is going after is something you have the moment you trust in Christ. The moment you fulfill the pattern of Abraham, Genesis 15, he believed in Yahweh and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the way Paul launches into justification in Romans chapter 4, 
understand this is our pattern, this is our model. And so the, the declaration of the perfect righteousness of God to our account is not about any keeping of any rules whatsoever. It is about a declaration made by sovereign and omnipotent God at the moment of faith in Jesus Christ. Not having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what I want to relish in. That's what I want to focus on. So he, the great teacher of the Pharisaic hedge around the law righteousness, that we're keeping the law. They weren't. No one ever has. I don't have that righteousness. I've got something you can't get from the law unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You can't enter the kingdom. The perfect righteousness of God is something that for us, the only way we can get it is God just give it to us. And the reason is because it's unattainable. And the way you get it, the way you do attain it, is simply trusting in Jesus as your Savior. And that's called justification or the declaration of God's righteousness to your account. And because I want to have hold of him, because I want his righteousness, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. See, Paul moves on from the declaration of righteousness and the enjoyment of knowing that you're justified by grace through faith. He moves to the experience of the Christian life. And what is it that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death? He's not talking about just positional truth now. He's talking about the experience of that position, that living out the righteousness of God in your experience in this world, in this war uh, of Satan's uh, fallen angels against God, and this time in which we are called to serve him, it is going to hurt living out this righteousness. But we are being conformed to his death so that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Arminians like to point out this verse in order to say, see, you have to earn it. You don't automatically get resurrected. But Paul is talking about living out what is true in your position, in your experience unto the resurrection, to the point of resurrection. That's, he's saying there is a declaration of righteousness and there is a living out of righteousness and that I want to arrive at the resurrection by the way the sin unto death guy will too but i want to arrive at the re at the resurrection in line with my position i want to be conformed to the death of christ so that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead and then you have the not that the great challenge to uh, philippians chapter 2 he says not that i have already laid hold or that i've already become teleos <clears throat> tell I, tell I, not that I've already become, I believe, mature, perhaps perfect. This is a place where the two concepts that tell could be maturity or perfection, like in terms of a perfect completeness, maybe these blend. But this is the verse, verse 12 says the way as you're in stride, living out your position in Christ experientially walking in the light of God's righteousness as he's in the light. You see, as you're living out your position by your experience, the apostle says, I haven't already laid hold. I'm not fully there. I never will say I've attained. 
And what he means by mature or perfect, I think it, you take your pick. I'm not to an end state. I'm not perfectly sinless and we never will be in our experience. Paul is struggling and fighting in Romans 7 every day against his sin nature just like God calls you to. I shouldn't have to do that. Well, okay, that's not how God did it. You're not resurrected yet. So you're going to deal with that until death or, or translation. Tell you a secret. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Not that I've already laid hold or become mature, but I press on. Dioko, a word Paul uses a lot in this context, which usually when he says it, it means he was persecuting the church. Dioko, D-I-O-K-O, means to persecute or run after or to pursue. And um, it's, it's the word translated persecute throughout the, the Acts accounts where Paul says, I was a persecutor of the church or I was persecuting the church of Christ. Dioko. And he says, this is the word that describes my advance, not persecuting the church, but think about it, chasing something without letting off. It's a dogged pursuit. Translate it, press on. Press on is a great, I love that phrase because it means there may be adversity. There may be all kinds of obstacles. There may be reasons why not, but I, I disregard all of that. And I just keep advancing. So whether you're running after your quarry or whether you're walking after your quarry, you don't stop. Michael Crichton, the writer of Jurassic Park, was the originator of the movie with Yul Brynner in the 70s, I think, 60s or 70s, called Westworld. Have you all seen Westworld? This is one of those that Mike's going to be like, yeah, you, I missed that one. <laughs> I saw Westworld as a kid when they redid it in 1984 and called it Terminator. I saw that as a kid. Everybody did. Arnold. You know, I didn't understand the appeal to Terminator because... The, the good guy, actually, the, the, the Hollywood star was the bad guy. I didn't get that as a kid. I, people were like, are you crazy? It's the best movie. I'm like, it's, it's terrible. The, the good guy's a bad guy. And it, all he, you know, the, the whole point is to kill, kill the main actor. I, I don't like that. I'm not going to say it grew on me over time, but, but later as, a, as, a, as an adult, I saw Westworld. And I'm like, oh, this is the same movie. It's about the relentless pursuit of a robot that's gone crazy that is trying to kill you. And as the movie progresses, the special effects have the, the actor playing the robot. He becomes more and more visibly mechanical, a robot as his skin is torn away and stuff. But what's true about this, this idea, whether you look at Terminator or Westworld or just skip it because who cares? But um, the thing that's consistent is that these guys are not in a hurry, these robots chasing these people, that they have a mission to kill them. They're just unflappably advancing after their objective. And that's kind of what the, 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 kind of the, the eerie appeal to it, I think, is that um, he just keeps coming. You can run, but he's still going to find you. And, and you just stay. He's just pacing himself, uh, eventually going to get you. And um, so it doesn't matter. 
if you're pursuing this righteousness, you terminators, it doesn't matter if you're running uh, like, a, like in a fox hunt, okay, galloping to, towards your quarry or whether you're one step at a time plodding along. The point is that you stay on it. You stay on mission. You keep the prize in front of you and you know what you're doing. You know you're advancing. I press on is Dioko. Why? If perhaps I translate so that I may also grasp Katalabo upon what also I was grasped, I was laid hold of by to Christu Yesu, by Christ Jesus. I press on so that I may also grasp that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Let's compare what he says here to our tendency in American Christendom to say, I'm in, so, you know, I go to church on Sunday, but we're, we're saved. So I'm just going to go to church on Sunday and we'll do the best we can. And basically my life is taking care of the mortgage and getting the kids through college if, if we want, you know, if they want. And that's life. And just trying to, you know, have enough scratch to go on vacation every year, have the kind of job that'll let me go on vacation. I mean, working for the weekend in the week, and then I'm working for the big weekend, the big vacation in the year. And I mean, that's life, right? I mean, that's, that's like we're saved. We go to church. That's not at all. What we're describing there is not at all what you hear Paul talking about. That's why I say he's not saying that your um, opportunity to be resurrected or your security in Christ, or any of these things that are settled when you first trusted in Jesus, he's not even talking about this. He's certainly not diminishing what he said in Romans. He's saying, this is my experiential Christian life as a believer saved by grace, as someone who has been laid hold of by Christ. I am straining forward to, get, to attain what he wants me to have. Which means that whatever this relative pronoun, ho, this what, that for which, that's the thing. The that for which that we're going for apparently happens at the resurrection, to attain into the resurrection. That is in question. That is not settled in Paul's thinking. I don't think I've already attained it. I'm straining forward to that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Well, didn't he save me? Yes. Don't I have his life? Isn't his life imparted to me when I first trust in Christ? It absolutely is. Doesn't the Holy Spirit come to abide in our hearts forever? Yes. So what else is there? Apparently the things that I'm talking about that you already received are equipping you to go after the thing that is in question. There's a judgment coming. For you it's a judgment of your works according to the grace of god which is given to me like a wise master builder i laid a foundation and others building on it but each man must be careful how he builds on it first corinthians three ten. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's 
work. See, this is the judgment that comes at the conclusion of a life lived either walking by the Spirit or ignoring Him. A life walking in the righteousness of God or fellowship with Him or basically saying, well, I'm saved. And so, you know, I mean, preacher, don't go more than 25 minutes because we might learn something. And, and for you to say we need to learn something is to say we're not already sufficient in and of ourselves as we are, which means that we have to look at ourselves as inadequate or incomplete somehow. And, and we don't want to think that way about ourselves. No. At your moment when you first trusted in Christ, you're born again. It's a baby thing. You're born as a baby and you grow up for to what? Not to live in mom's basement. You grow up to work. You grow up for a life of work. And he's got a building project called edifying the body of Christ, making disciples. And so Paul's talking about his personal cut in this work. I'm building uh, on the foundation, which is Christ. And Paulus came and he built too in, in Corinth. If any man's work, which he's built on this foundation of Christ remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. I think of 1 Corinthians uh, 3.15 as the singed eyebrows. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, paint this picture of someone who's saved, born again, who's grown up to the use of his construction tools, and now he's actually building. What's the outcome of the work? Now, now in context, in 1 Corinthians 3, the Corinthian church is, is not building. They're tearing down. They're dividing the body of Christ by who they listen to. We like to listen to Apollos. We like to listen to Paul. I prefer Cephas, Peter. I like Jesus, right? And they're dividing the body of Christ according to their preferences for the, the speakers. Like that matters. Like who the sheepdogs are. I like this sheepdog better than this sheepdog. And, and well, we're different from you because we serve under Jesus and so the, the division of the body of Christ is the tearing down of this edification that Paul's describing. So that, that, that's why Paul's talking about this. He's saying, who is Apollos? He's a fellow laborer. He's, a, he's got a construction company that he's building on this foundation. He's got his portion that he's building. I'm building. And your assessment is foolish because Jesus Christ is going to, with a test of fire, reveal the value of our labor. So that's the context of that verse, of that passage. But I just want you to understand, Paul looks at himself as in, as in uh, a project of construction. It's a lot of work. It hurts. It's hard work. And when Paul talks about what he's doing that's not settled yet and the outcomes, and I'm going to be evaluated for how I've performed, I think it's the same thing he's doing here in chapter 12. I'm not there yet. But I press on so that I may grasp that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And what is that? I think it's the gold and silver and precious stones. I think it's the things that he is standing by that he wants to bless you with and adorn you with so that you're more equipped for ever and ever and ever to glorify him. Now, this is, this, this is now a message about eternal rewards. I think all of Philippians is. These are Christians that are supporting the ministry of the gospel and no one else is who are being encouraged to further advance the interests of God in his mission. That's what the letter of the Philippians is. It's all about rewards. You're doing well, do better is what you tell someone who's doing well. 
And so, when you tell Christians this passage is not about whether you're saved in the sense of justification or whether you're going to be resurrected or have a resurrection body or whether you have the Holy Spirit or not or these things that are settled when you first trust in Christ. When you tell Christians that, they start to say, well, what else is there? What else is there? This is part of the gospel. It's the good news. God is standing by to advance and exalt you in his perfect timing. And that exaltation is described in the parable of the talents and the minas as higher authority and responsibility. By the way, every giving of resources, every attainment of more stuff or money or property is always a higher responsibility. I have to maintain this now that I've been given or I have worked to earn this. You buy a brand new car, well, break out your calendar because you're going to have to do definite routine maintenance to maintain it to the best it will operate or it's going to go down. It's going to, you're going to be a bad steward of that resource. And so think about this. When we're talking about gold, silver, precious stones, the things that you receive back from God, because of the work that you built on, he gives you the fruit of your labor and a reward. When you have payday, Christians at the judgment seat of Christ and attain to the resurrection and you have your judgment and you receive your reward. It is not simply to say that's a flashy car. That's a high title. That's a, that what a, what a glory to you. We read in John chapter 17 verses one through five, the way to think about being glorified. When Jesus asks for glory, he says, you know, I'm asking in that you glorify me, that you equip me with more that I can glorify you with. It's more capability to engage in the glorification of God. That's what the rewards are. So that's really the project we're in is glorifying God. And that's, and the Bible doesn't describe as much as I'd like what that looks like in an eternal state. We just know that that's where we're headed in the judgment seat of Christ, the end of the beginning. Brethren, I do not consider myself to have laid hold. Same word, kadhalambano. To have attained, to, to have grasped, to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. So I'm not to that point where I'm going to receive all that God wants to give me. I don't think of myself that way. So I'm not resting on, well, look all that I've done. And so, you know, that should count for something. I'm going to go play. Nope. I'm never going to stop pursuing that for which Christ has laid hold of me. But one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind and I strain forward to reach the things ahead. Vague language is intentional. When Paul says something in a vague sense, when he says it, you know, the things, when he says, uh, I forget the things behind, stretch forward to the things ahead. See, exegetes have a tendency to want to say, I know what he means by the things behind, and I know what specifically he's talking about the things that are ahead. Well, he's already said the things that are ahead, they're the, the, that which. I was laid hold of for, by Christ, and I believe that's talking about 
the good outcome, the well done at the judgment seat of Christ. But the things behind, he doesn't tell you what he's talking about. In context, all his attainments in Judaism. In context, all the building he's done up to this point as a Christian. This is central to today's performance, is not regarding what I've accomplished. You want to write a book? Good, write a book. Want to write a second book? Doesn't help that you already wrote one. You have to keep writing. You want to, you want to do something with today? Enjoy the fact that today, yesterday was successful, but doesn't make today successful. Today, I've got to go pursue. I've got to press on. I've got to Dioko today. And that's the attitude. That's the mindset that uh, he's creating by presenting this portrait. You know, I don't think I've already got enough. I'm rolling up. I'm running up the score. I don't already have enough attainment. There's not enough construction project done yet. One thing I do, I'm forgetting the past failures. I think I'm forgetting my sins from yesterday. I'm forgetting the sins of an unbeliever before he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm forgetting yesterday's successes and I'm pressing on straining forward to reach the things ahead. Obviously someone trapped in the present. We all are trapped in the present where we always live in a present like, no, because I mean, the future's coming. Yeah, but when you get to it, it's the present. So you can't get out of this. You're on a train, right? As someone who lives in the present and cannot access the past except by memory and cannot get hold of the future except by waiting till it's the present, understand this is the way to think about negotiating time. I cannot do anything about the past in terms of success or failure. Let's unpack that a minute. Does that mean that my past failures where I've hurt others mean that I don't do anything about that in the present? It doesn't mean that. In fact, the Bible is clear that in the present moment, when you become aware of hurting someone else, you're supposed to deal with it. You're supposed to make amends. You're supposed to um, uh, forgive where you need to forgive. And you need to, as, as Jesus teaches, if you have an, an offering and you um, remember you have, your brother has something against you, leave your offering, go fix it. Go fix it. Paul says, keep a good reputation among those who are outside. So that's, but that's the past. So, I mean, I'm supposed to let the past go. Yeah, but in the present, they have this against you. <laughs> and so on the one hand, yeah, I failed. I confess it. I leave that. Okay. But, in the tr- but the truth is there are present consequences and I have to go. And in the present moment, my responsibility is to address that. And to me, the only way you can be successful at life is to think that way is that there are, past, there are present consequences of past bad choices. I've dealt with my bad choices by in the moment, in the present, as I'm aware of them, telling God. I confess my sins. I know and I've reckoned that he said I'm forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness, and I'm going to walk with a clean conscience in the moment, knowing that I have past choices with bad consequences. And I'm going to take those past choices with bad consequences, having dealt with the choices and my dealings with God, I'm now going to ask in the present, God, how should I deal with these people that I've hurt? And I'm going to, in my present moment, choose to deal with those present consequences. Can't get the choice back. There's no mulligans on that. But how you manage present consequences, that's where you live now in the present. There's no reduce. A lot of times we think in terms of like a functional sort of incarnationism, reincarnationism of, uh, 
of, like, of, of our present life, like, well, I screwed up this thing, so you know, I'll try again. No, you're just, the tape's running. There's no rewinding. That's an illustration that'll work for people that were born before 2000. The tape is running. <laughs> right? there, there's, no, there's, there's no getting back the choices that you've made. There's only dealing as you go forward with the choices you make now. As dealing with the past. Right now, Paul says, in the present moment, I forget, I'm forgetting the things behind. I'm disregarding successes and failures in the past. And in this moment, I'm looking, I'm straining toward what is coming. You're driving. You're in the car, but the highway is up ahead of you. That's the future. The present moment is the car where you are right now. But you're steering the car in the present with a view to what's coming down on the horizon. That's the Christian life. So he says... I'm straining to reach the things ahead according to the standard of the goal. Kata skapon. I am pressing on. Dioko. For the Brabion, the prize. Brabion is very rare word in the new testament but it means prize this is why i say he's not talking about whether you're justified he's already talked about having justification he's talking about living it out for sure in your experience justification being positional truth and he says i press on for the brabion the prize for which christ has laid hold of me the upward call of god in christ jesus the the, the Brabion, the prize of the upward call. This is a very literal rendering and it's mysterious language. But here's what he's saying. He's restating what he already said. That for which Christ laid hold of me is what I'm straining toward. I'm trying to grasp that which I've been grasped for. And that's the goal, the prize of the upward call of God. Now, some say, well, see, this means that if you make it all the way through a Christian life of obedience, then you can be resurrected. Then you can be uh, in, the trans, in the rapture or the harpazo. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying there is a set of uh, objectives God has for you as a Christian that he's going to um, sit you down in your performance review and say, These are, this is how I think about how you performed. And he wants you by this upward call, he wants you to hear well done, but you may not necessarily hear well done. Where do, where do I, huh? Well, you might find yourself at the judgment seat of Christ, shrinking back in shame at his appearing, First John 2, because you didn't take advantage of the spiritual life. You did not walk by the Spirit. That's walking in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, which is to abide in Christ to walk in fellowship with God, which is not simply to say I've confessed my sins, although if you're in darkness, you need to confess your sins. It is to have his righteousness in common with him, to have fellowship with him, to walk in the light or in his righteousness as he is in the light. <clears throat> Forgetting the things behind and straining forward to th reach the things ahead, according to the standard of the goal, I press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are mature, 
The same word he said before, I don't consider myself to be teleao, perfected, matured completely, but as many as are mature. Is that, is that a second use of that concept of, of before I'm not, I'm not fully there, but I mean, there's a sense where we're there. I think that's what he's doing. There is a sense where you are spiritually mature at some point. And the mature among us, like the Apostle Paul, will say, I'm not there yet. I'm not fully complete. Is a 20-year-old an adult? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, we're all here not speaking German because 20-year-olds are adults. And it's June 6th, 1944. Yes, we are. We are adults at 20. Is a 20-year-old a 40-year-old? No, <laughs> no. I mean, even precocious 20 year old isn't a 40 year old. You see what I mean? There's, there's mature and then there's mature. And that's the way some of this language works. But hey, if you get it, if you're on, on mission, if you're mature and therefore, you know, you're not there yet maturing, let us think this way. And if any, if you are of any other thinking, this is, Philippians 3 has some challenges in translation. But if you're of any other thinking, God will reveal this to you also. It's okay. If you think differently than the way Paul is presenting the way to think about your spiritual life and your advance and, and your mission focus, God will show you. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to be on the fast track instead of the slow track? Y'all know about the fast track? So there used to be this game. I don't think they make it anymore. It's a tragedy. It's one of those things that, man, really cool. It was called cranium. I know you're like, they still make that. They don't. You can't get it anymore. Well, you can, but you got to pay a lot for it. Cranium. Anybody ever play cranium? It's like Pictionary and a Trivial Pursuit and charades all jumbled into one. It's a fun thing because it makes people do a lot of different things um, while, they're, while they're playing, but... Cranium had a, um, a neat board, the way it was set up. It's really great for getting some young adults together or young at heart, the family. It's really fun. But to, to, to play Cranium, you have to um, answer the first question. And if you get it right, you go into the fast track. Basically, to get around the board, one lap, and then you know, answer all the questions around the board, you win. To win the game, you have to get around the board first and you're the winner. And that means you're the best charade guesser, the best drawer of Pictionary, which is charades on paper, the best singer or, or, or hummer of songs or recognizer of someone humming different tunes, name that tune. It's a fun thing you would do, but if you miss the first one, then you go on the slow track. So let's say that there are 20 steps around the board on the slow track. You have to answer 20 questions because you messed up the first one and you, it kicks you into the slow lane. There's only like eight questions you have to answer in the fast track because you got the first one right and it makes you accelerate. And that's the way you win the game is you get questions right and it puts you in the fast lane. And I've always thought when I would play this with my family, it came out, I want to say in like early 2000s and um, we can't sit still long enough or something like this anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> what was neat about this game uh, it always occurred to me that people that will not listen to the wisdom of the Proverbs, that people that will not listen to 
Paul tell you how to think in verses 13 and 14 about your spiritual life, they're, they're still Christians, but they're going to go slow track. They're going to learn the hard way. They're, they're in the school of hard knocks. They're doomed to hold on to the ski rope without, uh, you know, with having lost their balance. And they're just going to be smashing through the water on their face. Does that communicate? Is that, <laughs> that's no way to ski. But that's the, a lot of Christians live like that. They plow through and they won't get it from what God says. So they have to learn the hard way and they're going to arrive at the judgment seat of Christ and they may be saved though as through fire. But God will reveal this to you also. Boy, uh, Lord, um, if I don't understand Paul, will you please help me understand Paul? I don't want to be crossways with him. I want to get this. But notice the grace of God and saying if you think any other way then this perfect presentation this divinely inspired presentation of how to think about the spiritual life god will reveal that to you in verse 16 and 17 he gives you the standard of life nevertheless unto that which we've already attained to the same let us advance in line is that what it says i think that's exactly what it says Nevertheless, unto what we have thano, we have reached. To this, to it, stoikane, an infinitive used as a sort of a hortatory subjunctive, sort of a first person plural, let's do this. Stoikeo to, uh, originally to march. Stratiotes, stoikeo. A, a soldier marches of course i like that I, that's my background let's talk about that um stoikeo is a word that gets used in english for a lot of things um but i think what he's doing here is saying there is a dioko there's a pursuit that we're called to pursue and we're supposed to do it together and so we're online advancing together. Remember verse 15, if anything you differ, God will reveal that to you. Which that takes you off the, the main body here, puts you in the slow track. But you who get this to that which we've already attained, aorist tense, passive, past uh, action, past completed action, to that which we've attained, to this let us advance in line to the same thing, let us advance in line. And that's a command to stoikeo in this uh, imperatival use of the infinitive. Now your uh, majority of manuscripts say to the rule, the same to think. Uh, let us think the same thing. Let us advance in line to the standard of the canon of the rule or of the same, of the same rule let us advance and uh, and think the same thing. And um, I think that probably the older manuscripts are right on this one. To this, let us advance is, is it. Nevertheless, become fellow imitators. Genomai, become. It could also be translated be. Amy is be, E-I-M-I, -I, Amy. Never I-me, Amy. Amy is to be. And genomai is either to be or to become. And usually there, there has this uh, sense of emergence somehow 
uh, in Genemai. A lot of times, I think it's true here, because he's challenging them. He's giving them a command, and that's why I put it in red. Become sumimetai. Sum is with or fellow, and mimetai is where we get the word imitate, imitator. Become like me. So if you differ with anything I've said in verse 15, God will reveal that to you. But hey, we need to run and you need to become imitators of me. Wow. I thought we were supposed to imitate Jesus. We are. Well, Jesus isn't Paul. Paul didn't die for our sins. That's right. So what's it like to be one who imitates Jesus Christ and yet is not the savior it's called a disciple and that's the whole game make disciples who are disciple people that imitate the lord jesus christ and so paul is a model for us because he is one imitating christ and so as we watch paul we learn how to imitate christ and paul is not making disciples of his own or you're your paul's disciple he's making disciples of the lord jesus christ so yeah, now here's the challenge for me that I want to end with this hour. Become fellow imitators of me. What kind of Christian life do you need to be living to be able to encourage someone to, hey, just come, come on, walk this way. What kind of Christianity do you need to have for you to genuinely be right to say, walk this way, walk with, you know, just follow in my footsteps and you'll get there. Now, nobody in this room thinks they're that kind of person. I know nobody thinks that they are that kind of Christian. I understand. But every parent in the room is supposed to be. We're supposed to walk in such a way that the people behind us can walk and get there. Walk in our footsteps. In his master's steps he trod where the snow lay dented. Can walk just like you and get where they're supposed to go. Which instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'm the example, saying, oh, I need to be the example. See the difference? Now, Paul can say it in the inspiration of the Spirit. You and I are supposed to grow to where we should be able to encourage people to do it. That's to make disciples. And so the challenge, in my view, for us becomes, uh, I need to be like this. I need to become an imitator of Paul such that if I am, someone could imitate me and they would be imitating Christ. Become fellow imitators of me, brethren, and observe. Scopeo. Scopeo. That's where we get mouthwash, scope. Mouthwash. No, this is actually the underlying Greek behind Listerine. It's not scope. Scopeo is the word to observe or look closely where we have the word for a, a, a stethoscope or a telescope or a microscope or any kind of scope, a telescopic sight on a rifle, a scope. Has nothing to do with orthoscopic surgery, as far as I know, but it could be that they're looking inside. Orthoscopic is to look in. Maybe it is ortho. That's where we get it. But anyway, that's the word scopeo to look or to observe. So you study, observe, study, look closely. 
such others as walk as you have us for a pattern. So, such, hutos, those who walk, who peripateo, that's their spiritual life described by the walk, just as you have a type, a tupos of us, us for a type, for a pattern. That's pretty heavy when you think about, okay, I just want to get where I'm like he's saying in 13 and 14, where I'm forgetting the things behind and I'm stretching forward to that which lies ahead. I want to be like that. I'm, I'm thinking that way. Hey, the more you drive the car that way, the more someone can follow you. And that's, that's the pattern. So someone has said, well, you know, it doesn't sound like we're talking about making disciples in Philippians 3. It sounds like we're growing spiritually. He ends with the example and people following it. He's very much centered on the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to make disciples of all the nations, including those in Macedonia. These Philippians that are now going to imitate Paul and therefore be imitating Christ. And then because they're following in line, the ducks behind them can walk right on and, and follow too. Next hour, we'll talk about those who do not walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. Father, we thank you for eternal life, for fellowship with you, for the challenge of scripture that you've given us to be imitators of your son as we learn from one another, as we walk and emulate those who emulate your son. And Father, don't let us ever be arrogant to think we're there. Let us be like Paul and say we haven't attained. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.